0: So, having said all that, I have the privilege of introducing uh, a dear friend and mentor. Uh, Rock was my absolute favorite professor while I was down at Moody. Uh, There is no question about that. We uh, had several different classes. Uh, Rock uh, taught homiletics, the Book of Romans, and uh, so he's at least partially responsible for who I am as a, uh, as a preacher. <laughs> I haven't followed everything as well as I probably should have, Rock. I, I get too carried away in bringing other scriptures into things. But nevertheless, uh, I know you are going to be blessed today. Our worship class that we had down there is something that we still talk about to this day. About a dozen of us gathered around. What could only be considered, uh, due to lack of tuning a piano. Uh, <laughs> but some of the most sweet times of worship uh, in my Christian life. Uh, there's been a, a few mountaintop experiences, and that was certainly one. So would you give a warm, central welcome to Rock Joya?
1: Thank you, Gary. Yeah, it's a delight to be back here. Now, my memory, as I'm getting younger, my memory is going out a little bit. But I know I preached here way back, and I think it was in the 80s, yeah, back in the 80s, which would have been back then. Anybody ever hear of Bob Murphy? He yeah. used to be on Morning Clock at Moody. Yeah, he was, he was my pastor. He baptized me, discipled me, and sent me out into the ministry. I didn't know much of anything except that I loved Jesus, and he, uh, that's, I was, you know, just reading my Bible, loved Jesus. I didn't know how to do anything. But he kept running me through the various, actually he ran me through the entire Sunday school program, starting with the little tiny ones all the way up, and then college. I taught college quite a bit, which prepared me. I had no idea. I've been teaching college for, uh, since the 90s, on with the master's level. Um, anyway, so Gary I met at Moody, as he mentioned, and we, we've had some awesome times. But Gary, that worship class, I don't know how to say this except that God just showed up. That's all I can say. It, it was just, I don't have the words to describe. You need to be there. He was there. And uh, that was a long, what, like from, was it 8 to 1 or 8 to 3? or It was a longer class. Yeah, I give, I give. Because we had, it seems like it, because it was, you know, with me teaching, it seems like an eternity. But nevertheless, uh, the point is, uh, what we did was we went through the entire scriptures looking at all the texts that directly related to worship. And then in the afternoon, we responded to what we heard, and Gary was one of the worship leaders, and uh, wow. Well, I, I don't have to tell you. He's a very gifted worship leader. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm eager to hear him preach at some point. I, in fact, it has his name on the bulletin. Maybe I'm going to have you come up here. So anyway, uh, class—you know after that, Gary, I don't know if you know the rest of the story, But probably for a couple weeks after that class, I was just like weeping every day. I just had a strong sense of the presence of God, sharing the gospel with anybody who was breathing or maybe not breathing. It didn't matter to me, animals, squirrels, anybody. I was just so excited about the Lord because we spent time. We went vertical, right? And we responded to him. And so that's still one of my favorite classes and great, great memories. So it's a delight to be here. I invite you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. This is a wonderful, wonderful text. They all are because God breathed them all out. But this one in particular, I think, is relevant for today. Now, if you were to do, and I did this uh, yesterday, and it changes from day to day, but it's actually gotten worse as I look at it, looking back from months ago. If you were to get on your Google search engine and type in worry, W-O-R-R-Y, now don't do it. Don't do it right now. How many entries do you suppose you would find there under worry? Well, here it is. As of yesterday, it probably changed, but uh, about it says four, comma one three zero, comma comma one hundred and thirty million entries on the word worry. Now, would you say worry is pervasive in our society? if not around the world, right? Isn't that crazy? If that's true, and it is, it is pervasive, raise your hand if you've never worried in your lifetime. I've never seen a hand go up when I asked that question. We all worry. If it's true that it's pervasive, and it is in our society, the, the challenge here is people think it's normal to worry. It's the norm, right? After all, is it not normal to worry about making the grade in the school? Is it not normal to... Worry about losing a job, especially in today's economy? Is it not normal to worry about having an adequate income during retirement? Is it not normal to worry about a failing marriage, being rejected by peers? Is it not normal to worry about having enough to face the future, especially by yourself, facing the future alone? Isn't that normal to worry about crime on the streets, declining health, or getting smothered in debt and high interest rates in a very bad economy like we're in right now? Dear friend, what are you anxious about right now? What is worrying you, maybe even agitating you? What causes you to worry? Is your worry normal? Normal. Because again, you saw those entries, 4,130,000,000. Hey, this must be the norm. I guess everybody worries, so therefore it's normal, right? What I'd like to do before we proceed, we're going to look at the text in detail here. This is a wonderful text. This is one of how many evidences of Jesus' love for us, that he cares enough for us to give us instruction in this area that we are all involved in, in probably a negative, maybe even unhealthy way. I want to pause, though. And see if we can distinguish between concern, on the one hand, and worry, on the other hand. Is there a difference? Well, here's concern. Concern means to have a healthy interest in something that is important to you. Now, that's good, actually. It's a healthy interest, right? I'm concerned that this will turn out in such and such a way. Worry, on the other hand, is to become anxious over disturbing thoughts that may or may not come to pass Actually, worry is a form of self-torment. In fact, you look up that English word worry, it has a German cognate, vergen, which means to strangle. And that's an apt word picture. Because if you think about it, think about it when we're at our worst, all of us when we're worrying, biting our fingernails, fretting, this is not going to turn out good, our blood pressure goes up, Worry tends to strangle our thoughts, it chokes our emotions, and it even devours our physical health. Now, that cannot be good. Is that the norm? Not according to God. No, if it's unhealthy, right? And so, out of compassion for our condition, because Jesus always knows our condition, He knows what you're going to have for lunch 14 days from now. Do you know? I have no idea what. I'll, God willing, I'll be eating something, but who knows what that'll be? He knows. He knows all things in advance. He knows what we're going through now. He knows what we'll face tomorrow and a month from now and a year from now, should he tarry, should we still be on this earth. And this Lord Jesus, who loves us with an unmeasurable, infinite love, does us a service in this text, because here he's going to expose worry for what it is, and he's going to issue a command, a very simple command. Do not worry. Do not worry. Now, already you're worried about, uh oh, I mean, I'm not supposed to do this. Uh, <laughs> even that, that command is causing us anxiety now, right? All of a sudden. Uh, you know, our Lord is very patient with us, isn't He? So, I, I don't think I have to make a case that we should not worry, okay? The question is, hey, preacher, I I get it, it's in the text, but could you help me out with some motivators here? Why is it, in particular, we should not worry? Can you give me some reasons? And the answer is, I cannot. But the Lord Jesus can and does in this text. These are not my reasons, they're his. In the text, I want to invite you to consider some reasons with me why we should not worry. Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Reason number one, why we should not worry. And that is because worry is unreasonable. Worry is unreasonable. I want you to think that through with me. Look at verse 25. We're in Matthew 6. The words of Jesus. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Notice how he starts there, for this reason I say to you. What reason? For what reason does Jesus issue this command? If you look back at verse 24, you'll see it there. In verse 24, it says, depending on your translation, you cannot serve God and wealth. Make up your mind, it's either or. Therefore, do not worry about serving riches, is what he's saying. In fact, God's got you covered. Just be concerned, notice concerned, not worry, be concerned about serving God. Focus on serving him. And by the way, as you're serving him, you're busy blessing others and the joy splashes right back on you. While that's happening, God's busy taking care of your needs. In fact, it stands to reason if it's God's will for you to serve others and you're busy doing his will, serving others, he's going to make sure you've got food so you can continue to serve others. Now, if you're talking about having a new Cadillac or Rolls Royce, a Porsche, one for each day of the week, I'm not sure that's a need, and I'm not sure he's going to provide that. He may, he may not. But certainly, if you're serving the Lord, I think he's going to provide enough that we're going to breathe, eat, and have enough energy to serve him. Just stands to reason. That's why I say worry is unreasonable, right? So look at verse 25 again. He says, Do not be worried about your life. And by the way, this word worry appears five times in this passage. Worry is the main subject for sure here. Do not be worried about your life. Is not life more than food? So he's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. People worry about food, right? Am I going to get enough to eat? Now, in certain contexts, it's a legitimate concern, for sure. Especially, you know, we're we're in America. As much as we want to complain about inflation, etc., I think we're still doing pretty good. Just take a jet tour around the world, and you'll come back and kiss the dirt here when you arrive back in the United States. We're still so blessed, it's unbelievable. But here, he's going from life to food, the greater to the lesser. There's a little bit of logic right here. In other words, is not your existence of more value than mere food? What good is food to a dead person, right? The purpose of food is to sustain life. So life is greater, obviously. Another analogy here, and the body more than clothing. If God gave us the greater, life and a body, he certainly can give us the lesser, which would be food and clothing. What Good is clothing without a body, right? So he's saying the things you're worried about, I've already given you the greater things while you were sweating the lesser things. That's the point here. Verse 26, the master teacher Jesus says, and I can imagine some birds flying over. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they. See the phrase there, verse 26? Look at the birds of the air. Now, Palestine was the crossroads of bird migrations. I just saw a YouTube video not too long ago. There's all kinds of, and I'm not a, I don't even know what the word is for those who study birds. Help me out, I have no idea. Okay, well, well, I'm not one of those. (laughs) Um, But the point is, I do know that pretty much uh, there's a broad spectrum of variety of different birds that pass through Palestine at one time or another. And so I'm sure Jesus could just look up and hear some birds coming by, using them as an object lesson. He says, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. What's he saying? Well, birds do not engage in the normal cycle of producing food, planting, harvesting, storing into barns. They're not worried about that stuff. Free as a bird. So, notice, and yet, and you might, if you're in the habit of underlining, and if not, that's fine, but that pronoun there, I think we skip right over it. And yet, your, that's the word, your, yes, you, Christian, your heavenly Father feeds them, feeds the birds. So, with the act of creation, God assumed the responsibility to provide for his creatures. If that's true, then it would be dereliction of duty if he did not provide for us. He wouldn't put us on the earth and not provide for us, right? And again, I'm not a, uh, in this case, what would it be, a nutritionist? All I know is whatever the human body needs, whether it's vitamin K or C or D or A, we can look around on this globe and find that somewhere. What's in apples? Vitamin what? C. C. All right, thank you. And that's also in oranges, right? And so, I mean, all, if you were to go through all of the various needs of the body, Somewhere on this planet, God deposited them because he wants to take care of us. He designed the body. What a wonderful thing. And so he will provide. That's the idea here. And yet your heavenly father feeds those birds. The birds gather enough for today and they trust their creator for tomorrow's provision. And again, I've got to point out that word because it's so easy to blow right over it. Verse 26, your heavenly father. He is our Father. We are His children. He's going to take care of His kids, right? But you see, the birds only know Him as Creator. And yet, their trust in their Creator, they they can't call Him Father. He doesn't save birds, as far as I know. So they can't call Him Father, but they can call Him Creator And yet, their trust in their creator is often a rebuke to us who know him not only as creator, but as father. If we were to compare the faith of the birds with our faith, we'd have to say by comparison, our faith is for the birds, meaning it's weak. He's our father. He not only provided physically, he provided spiritually, Christian, if you know Jesus as your savior. He's got us covered from every angle here, right? Are you, verse 26, are you, that's in the emphatic position there, are you not worth much more than they? Now he's reasoning from the lesser to the greater here. In God's eyes, we are worth far more than animals. Now, you animal rights lovers, don't throw things at me, please. I love animals too. But there's something unique and wonderful about human beings that's qualitatively different than any animal that you'd like to put before us. Humans and animals can claim God as creator, but only humans are made in God's image. That's something special, right? Further, only saved humans enjoy a father-child relationship with their creator. There's something very qualitatively different and special about this. Jesus says in verse 27, And who of you, being worried, can add a single hour to his life? It's unreasonable to think that anyone can lengthen their life By worrying. It's just not a good thought sequence there. In fact, worry does not lengthen life. It shortens life. And so we cannot worry ourselves to life, but we can worry ourselves to death, right? Dr. Charles Mayo, way back in time, wrote this from the Mayo Clinic, quoting him, Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I've never known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. Brothers and sisters, worry accomplishes nothing, no thing good. Nothing good about it. Think it through. What blessing comes out of worry? None. And so the next time you begin to worry, stop and take time to ask the Lord in prayer, Lord, do I have good reason to worry Or to paraphrase, Lord, do I have good reason to torment myself? And the answer is no. Why? Because worry is unreasonable. If we're thinking straight, we're going to see it for what it is. And that's what he's doing here. He's exposing worry so that we can see it and see that it's actually detrimental to us. What's the point? Very simply, do not worry. All right, preacher, I hear you, but I need some motivators. Can you give me some reasons why I should not worry? Well, we've seen one now. First reason is because worry is unreasonable. Here's another reason. Are you ready? Worry is unbelief. Ouch. Ouch. Worry is unbelief. Look at verse 28. By the way, I didn't say it. Jesus did. I'm rock, small r. He's rock, capital R. Take it up with him. Just reporting, it's red ink. I didn't write it. Here it is. Notice very carefully. I just love this text because it hits me right where I live, and I need it. I need it. He knows it, and I love him for it. Verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Verse 28, observe how the lilies of the field grow. Now perhaps Jesus pointed to the wildflowers in the fields. Um, that word observe means to study closely. So looking at that slide there, you would actually go up and look at one of these poppies in the field, one of these flowers, and just marvel at how beautifully and wonderfully it is made by our grand artist, the creator, the great architect. He says, they do not toil, nor do they spin. Go check them out. Interview them. They don't toil, they don't spin. Toil refers to laboring in the fields to collect clothing materials. Spin refers to the process of making clothing. The wildflowers have no part in adorning themselves. Their clothes come from elsewhere. They don't make them. Verse 21, not even Solomon in all his glory, think of all the wealth he had, clothe himself like one of these. For your notes, if you want it, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 9, 23 through 24. It says, and all of the kings of the earth were seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. Well, what about Solomon's wardrobe? I'm sure his closets were busting at the seams. had more clothes than he could wear in a lifetime. It says, and they brought every man his gift, articles of silver and gold, garments, so much year by year. They kept bringing the finest garments from their various countries, wherever they came from, just to honor Solomon. And Solomon's regal wardrobe was no match for God's handiwork. I mean, look at those beautiful flowers in the field. The wildflowers were adorned with such pristine beauty which cannot be improved upon that Solomon, with even his best threads, he's really styling, let's say, and he's out in the field and he's got to say, Wow, God dressed these flowers better than he dressed me. I don't have any wardrobe that beautiful. Think about it. Look at verse 30. Think very carefully what Jesus is saying right here. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You see, the grass of the field, the wildflowers, he says, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, um, in Palestine back in the day, wood was pretty scarce. So what did they use for kindling to get the fire stoked? Well, they would take the wildflowers, they would dry out in the sun, they'd gather them from the fields, and then they would fire up their pottery ovens. These like kindling, you might say, with these dried flowers, and that's how they got the fire going. Very temporary existence, right? Something so beautiful just burned up like that. He says, verse 30, will he not much more... Clothe you? So if God dressed the wildflowers with such exquisite beauty, then he will certainly dress his children with the garments they need. What's to worry about? I see everybody here, thankfully, is wearing some clothes of some sort, right? Thank God. I mean, mean, honestly, again, we're so blessed. You can go to a Goodwill or somewhere and find clothes. Somebody's going to give you some clothes to wear, right? It's almost a non-issue for us. That's how blessed we are. And yet, some worry. Or this isn't good enough, I've got to get the latest, stylish, whatever it is, right? We waste our time on that. Now, fasten your seatbelt, because here it is. If he's going to close those flowers with with uh, great garments, you might say, exquisite garments, and they're just going to burn up, they're so temporary, don't you think he's got you covered? And then comes the rebuke, verse 30, you of little faith. Literally in the Greek, you little faiths. You see, the root of worry is a weak faith. Now, we've got to own up to that, okay? I've got to be honest and say, when I'm fretting and biting my fingernails and worry that the whole world's going to spin out of control, at that point, I lack faith. Let's be honest about it. Otherwise, there's no progress, right? Worry is unbelief. That's the point. A widow who had successfully raised, now think about this. Can you imagine raising six kids in today's world? That's heroic. How about 12 kids? Let me throw another six in there. 12 and 6, math majors, help me out. I'm a Bible thumper. 18, thank you very much. I didn't do so good in math. I'm more of a Bible thumper kind of a guy. So there actually was a widow who raised successfully. The kids turned out all right. Eighteen children. That's notable. And so a reporter came to interview her because this, that's pretty big news, right? And when he asked her for the secret of her success, here's what she said. She said, I manage so well because I'm in a partnership. And the reporter was puzzled a little because this widow raised these kids all by her lonesome. Eighteen. Eighteen children. So the reporter said, well, what do you mean A partnership. And she replied, well, many years ago, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'll do all the work. You do the worrying. And I have not had an anxious care ever since. Is that an exaggeration? I don't know. I mean, we're all human, right? But generally speaking, she had a great semblance of peace in her life. And she wasn't fretting, raising 18 children, knowing that somehow, even if it's a scrap, God's going to provide some food. Because all those kids survived, by the way, and did pretty well. God gets all, I mean all, A-L-L, all of the glory for that. But God bless this faithful mom, right? You See, she trusted the Lord to meet her family's needs. Now, if I were, and I won't do this, but if I were to say, raise your hand if you are trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior to save you for all eternity, and I'm assuming a lot of hands would go up, and if not, come see me afterwards, I'd love to, talk about Jesus with you, but assuming you know him as Savior, you would tell me, you know what, I'm trusting Jesus to save my soul for all eternity. Well, are you trusting him him right now to meet your family's needs in the temporal state that we're in? In other words, I can trust him for all eternity, but can he get me a job? Can he provide this for me and that for me? Oh, I don't know if he can. Oh, but he can save me for all eternity. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Really? Is that good logic? If he can do the greater, he can certainly do the lesser. That's why it's a lack of faith when we don't trust him. And I'm speaking to myself, friends. I preach to myself first before it ever goes public. And sometimes in my study, I've got to say, Ouch, Lord, you got me. He beats me up in a loving way because I need it. For your notes, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. Here's the remedy. With all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Sounds counterintuitive. Lord, I thought you gave me understanding so I can understand things and then act accordingly. In this case, he's saying, doubt your eyes and your ears and trust me. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will, he will, yes, he will make your paths straight. So what's worrying you right now? Are you trusting him? Can you turn it over to him and let go? Sometimes it's hard to let go, but this is my security blanket. I'm in this mode where I love to worry. There's something comforting about it, really. It's time to let that go and enjoy his peace. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So maintain an ongoing dialogue with the Lord. Consult him in every situation, and he will strengthen your faith. And guide you through life's difficulties. Will you skin your knees along the way? Yeah, probably. So, what else is new? But we have such a brilliant future ahead, brother, sister, that all this stuff's gonna be a distant memory at best when we're up there. You're gonna look back and say, What was all that worry about? Why did I waste all that energy? We've got a beautiful, brilliant future ahead. And so, the message is really simple and yet profound. And notice I didn't use the word easy. Do not worry. Why? I need some reasons. I need some help here. Well, we've seen already because worry is unreasonable and worry is unbelief. And here's another one, and that is worry is unbecoming. Worry is unbecoming. It's not a good look. Look at those ladies there ripping each other apart for material goods, right? Verse 31. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? (laughs) What will we drink? (laughs) What will we wear for clothing? (laughs) I don't know if I can go out the door today. I should thank God I have a door to go out. (laughs) For the Gentiles, i.e., the unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Wow. Verse 31. Do not worry then, he says, in light of these lessons from nature with the birds and the poppies in the field. Do not worry. Why? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things. Now that all these things is in the emphatic position. The world is obsessed with acquiring material things. Hello. That's pretty obvious, right? One translation says, for the pagans run after all these things. Uh, What do they call it? Is it Black Friday? Is it right after Thanksgiving or so? I've never gotten involved in that. I don't have time for that stuff. Life's stressful enough. But I understand people camp out all night and then duke it out when the doors open in the morning to get the best sale. I mean, give me a break. But that's just me. Pray for me. I'm not into that stuff, but what can I tell you? For the pagans run after all these things. Now, since unbelievers don't have a heavenly father to look after their needs, they look to material possessions for their security. That becomes their pacifier, their security blanket, you might say. I feel safe because I'm surrounded with goodies, which all can burn or be stolen or rust or whatever. But nevertheless, I have this false, uh, 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 wait a minute, this real security, they think. When Christians don't believe that God will provide, when they worry about their security, they act like pagans who have no Heavenly Father. It's not a good look on the children of God. It's not too styling. It's not a good commercial for our Lord. Worry is unbecoming on a Christian. Verse 32. For your Heavenly Father, he keeps reminding us that he's our Heavenly Father, Knows that you need all these things now keep your place go back one chapter there or actually early on in the same chapter really still chapter 6 but look at verse 7 chapter 6 verse 7 he says and when you are praying do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles that is as the unbelievers do for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words so do not be like them why Jesus for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that great? He's actually waiting in days in advance. He knows what we're going to ask. All right, I'm glad you finally asked. I got that one covered too. You can turn back a little bit later on, we're, depending on where your Bible breaks, back to our text right here. So we're still in chapter 6. So can you see that when we get all freaked out, as they say, and worry and break into a sweat, we look no different than the average unbeliever out there. We tell people, you know, you need to cross the line and become like us. And they're saying, well, what do you mean like us? I don't see a lot of difference between you and my unsafe friends. You're worrying like crazy. They're worrying like crazy. Oh, you wear a cross and they don't. Okay, I see the difference now. But you're still nervous, Rex. It's unbecoming. Does not look good. Verse 33. But, in contrast to the pagans, seek first... His kingdom, now that word first is not one of a series, you know, first, second, third, but above all else, above everything, way above everything, highest priority, seek His kingdom. Submit to the present kingdom rule of God and look for the coming of His millennial kingdom. There is a millennial kingdom coming, can't wait. It's going to be pretty exciting. And that's one of the things of many that puts a spring in my step. The imminent rapture is another one that gets me pretty excited. I just think about it and I have to smile. Think about it, friends. Jesus loves you so much that he shed his infinitely precious blood just for you. What else can he add to that? That's good enough. He came to this sin-saturated junkyard to die for you and me. Good enough, right? But no, there's more frosting on that same cake. He's going to come back for us again. It's called the rapture where he takes us up out of this junkyard. And we shall forever be with the Lord. In heaven during the tribulation period and then back down on earth for the millennial kingdom. Then the eternal state. It's going to be awesome. We've got a brilliant future. And when we lose sight of that, that's when we get into doldrums. So we need to keep reminding each other that we've got an awesome future ahead. And again, that should put a spring in our step even here and now. So put his kingdom first. That's the idea there. I mean, above everything, he says in 610, your kingdom come. It's a great prayer. And his righteousness, right? Seek first his kingdom, verse 33, and his righteousness. We seek his righteousness by submitting to his will. In 610, he says, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done, right? Seek his kingdom seek his righteousness, and all these things, the stuff we worry about, which won't mean much in the future anyway. So you're the best dressed person in the room. Well, la da It's not going to matter in the eternal state. He's got a better wardrobe waiting for us, called white robes. And all of these things shall be added to you. Jesus says, you concentrate on your father's kingdom and his righteousness And your father will concentrate on your physical needs. Don't invest a lot of energy there. Put it there. He'll take care of the rest. Now that requires some faith, does it not? For your notes, Philippians 4, 6. Also verse 19, he says, Be anxious about everything, right? Wait, wait, that's the Salt Lake City translation, Joseph Smith, wrong one. Let me give you the right one. Be anxious for nothing, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with gratitude, don't forget that part. Let your requests be made known to God, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his very scrawny riches. Oh no, they're unlimited, right? Unlimited riches. So he's never going to run out. There's no, what is it, supply chain issues here? There's none of that coming from heaven anyway. He shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God still answers prayer by meeting our needs. And this is why we pray, chapter 6, verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. Manna for today. There'll be fresh manna for tomorrow. You don't have to hoard it and store it up. It is unbecoming for God's children to act like pagans who worry about and chase after this world's goods. It just doesn't look good. We're better than that. Worry is unbecoming. So, dear friends, what are we learning here? Very simply, and again, very profoundly, do not worry. All right, why? Give me some reasons. Here they are. Because worry is unreasonable. Worry is unbelief. Worry is unbecoming, and worry is unnecessary. Worry is unnecessary. Now, that one sounds pretty crazy. It's like, then why have I been doing this all these years? Worry is unnecessary, verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He says, do not worry about tomorrow. Therefore, since all of these things will be added to you, it is not necessary to worry about tomorrow. It's going to take care of itself. John Curtis, who was the founder of the Stress Management Institute... Sounds like he would know a little something about stress. Here's what he said. I believe that 90% of stress is brought on by not living in the present moment. You see what Jesus said there? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, live in the present moment. Curtis says, worrying about what has already happened what is going to happen, and what could happen. See, this is what messes us up. But we're not living in the present, not enjoying the moment. His point is, worry is unnecessary. In my view, the best way I know to face the future is to pray, to plan, and then to faithfully fulfill today's responsibilities now if you think about it think about your life just do a quick survey you know most of the future calamities that we worry about never actually come to pass and then we get mad all that worry for nothing and it never even blew up in my face I thought it was gonna blow up in my face I've been worried about it for 20 years the day came and arrived and everything was okay God covered me All that worry, why did I waste my time worrying? Well, tell that to yourself now for the next trial. (laughs) Most of it never happens. We over-worry, if you know what I mean. Again, it is a lack of faith. Jesus says, each day, you see it in verse 34, each day has enough trouble of its own. And so why torment ourselves with tomorrow's troubles Live in the present. Learn. Yes, it can be learned. Learn to rely upon God's daily provision. Meditate, which is a skill we can develop. Meditate upon his consistent faithfulness throughout your life. Some are in the practice of journaling. They can actually look back and remind themselves, you know what, we were panicked back then, God came through, we were panicked here, God came through, we were really freaking out here, God came through, 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 God came through. What are you worried about now? God will come through. He's not going to change. Can you trust him? Worry is unnecessary. Now, I'll admit, I'm a little bit of a strange guy. One of my hobbies, everybody's got hobbies, is I like to study ancient sermons of preachers from church history. just one of the things I enjoy. And what I usually do is I'll read a biography of a given preacher, let's say Spurgeon or whoever, and then I'll read his sermons, and when I see him addressing issues in his time, I get it because I know the context of his life, right? And uh, one of my favorite preachers from the Reformation area, Uh, era would be a man named, you probably heard of him, Martin, what? Yeah, Martin Luther. Love him. And what I like about uh, his preaching is he has a very vigorous and direct style. I mean, I think he's contemporary. If young people were to read him today, if it's modern English, right? Uh, I would say young people would probably say he's in your face, in a good way. He just says it, like it or not, this is God's word And then it has its impact, right? And so he's fun to read, if you will, and he's very uh, convicting. And I've learned through the years that most preachers are influenced by other preachers. They all have their heroes, or maybe they even uh, model themselves after different preachers intended, or otherwise they kind of mimic other preachers because they've been so influenced. I've always wondered who is Martin Luther's major influence, In other words, who was the preacher that most impacted Martin Luther? And I finally discovered who influenced him the most. And here it is. I'm going to quote him directly. He says, I have one preacher that I love better than any other on earth. Here it is. Would it be Spurgeon? Would it be Calvin? Can't be Spurgeon. He came later. Could be Calvin. No, Calvin came later. Who would it be? He says, it is my tame Robin, which preaches to me daily. I put his crumbs on the windowsill. He hops on the sill and takes as much as he needs. And from there, he always flies to a little tree close by, lifts lifts up his voice to God, sings a song of praise and gratitude, tucks his head under his wing and goes to sleep, leaving tomorrow to look after itself. He is the best preacher I have on earth. I said before, sometimes the birds are a rebuke to us. They've got a stronger faith in their creator than we do in our creator and father. You know, an even better preacher once wrote this, casting all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Yes, you, not the other person, you. He cares for you. He knows what's worrying you right now. He knows what will worry you next week. He cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your worries, all your anxieties upon Him. In other words, do not worry. Why? Because worry is on. Un- do you know it? You got it in your notes? Unreasonable. Worry is on. Un- I'm a teacher now. I'm going to grade you. Unbelief. Worry is on. Un- Becoming, last one, worry is? Unnecessary. You got it. Now, here's the good news. And by the way, if you're feeling some guilt, please do not. We're all in this together. I struggle with this. If you're breathing, you probably worry from time to time. The way to solve that is to breathe no longer, but I don't want that to happen. So keep breathing, all right? But here's the good news. Your worry can be turned into a prayer prompter. That's the good news. You can train yourself. You say, well, that's not easy. I didn't say it was easy, but if you stay with it, I promise you, you'll grow in this area. Your worry can be turned into a prayer prompter. So whenever you begin to worry, immediately pray, Lord, please reveal the cause and the nature of my worry. Take it to prayer immediately before the panic kicks in. And then ask yourself the following questions. These are diagnostic questions. Is my worry reasonable? I already know how you're going to answer that one. Am I worried because I do not believe God? Be honest about it. Is my worry an attractive testimony for my Lord? Here it is. Is my worry necessary? And I'd like to add to that and list five reasons why. I'd love to see that list. And then after all that, pray, Lord, please take from me the source of my worry, which it could be unbelief, it could be any number of things, right? If we at least do that, I think that's a step forward, if not a quantum leap forward toward a little victory over this area. I'm not promising you you'll never worry again. Don't even make that your goal. But how about less seasons of worry and more seasons of trust and peace that comes only from God? Brothers and sisters, it says in the word of God, do not worry, but it also gives a remedy. The short version is trust God. So whatever will help you to grow in your faith and to factor him more into your daily existence, that's going to go a long way to dissipate any worry and displace it with his peace and his joy. Let's speak to him in prayer, shall we? Lord God, you love us too much to not tell us the truth. And we know sometimes it stings if we're on the wrong side of an issue or the wrong side of the fence. But yet, you always, always, always provide a remedy, a solution. And I pray for each of us that we would grow in this area and experience more of your joy and your peace as we turn that worry into trust, turning it over to you, that you might do a mighty work in our lives and make us more like Jesus, onward and upward toward Christ-likeness, for your greater glory, for our own blessing, and the overflow blessing of others. We pray this in Jesus' most excellent name, and all my friends said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.
0: Praise the Lord. Now you know why I love him.